0: Oh, oh. shipped out. out. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, you can turn your Bibles if you like to um, Matthew chapter 16. And I will turn to mine. Oh. Can you hit the record button? Can I see that big red button? Got it. um Matthew Matthew chapter 16 books Uh beginning in verse 24 This is New King James. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever desires to lose his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Heavenly Father, bless these words we pray. Uh, please speak to us right now in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. And so, um, so here we have uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples, and um, I, I'm not sure exactly how many days, but this is within two weeks, or it's, it's going to be in less than two weeks that Jesus will be crucified, and um, so this is coming to the end of his earthly ministry um, as a, you know, as an earthly person. And it's very interesting to see what we have going on here is he's speaking about the soul. He's speaking about the values that we have as individuals, as Christians, as disciples. He's talking to his 12 disciples right here personally. And just prior to this, of course, was a couple of big things that happened. Jesus... um, spoke to them and said, you know, who do, you, who do people say I am and who do you think I am? And Peter would say, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. They said, say, very good. Good job, Pete. And then the next thing that would happen would be um, he would explain to the disciples that he's going to go and he's going to suffer. The authorities are going to take him and judge him and kill him and then he'll raise again on the third day. And Peter says, no, that's not going to happen. Of course, he says that in this same chapter. And Jesus then calls him Satan. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. And maybe he was also speaking to the spirit that was there. Nonetheless, uh, Peter was representative of that spirit when he didn't want Jesus to go to the cross, but instead to save his life. And one of the great statements that Jesus says um, to him uh, is this. Well, he says that in verse 23, he says, get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me. But listen to this. You are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. And so really that's what the whole thing is about, right? Is being mindful of the things of God, understanding God's economy and understanding the value of a soul uh, in this uh, life. Because... He says that one soul is worth more than the entire world. The word is cosmos in the Greek, and it can it can it can speak of the physical world, but it can also speak of all the value uh, that the world has. And uh, Jesus is definitely speaking metaphorically because it would be impossible for one person, certainly, to own all of the world except for God, because He does own it all. Um, but for us, individually, it would be impossible. There was a report recently by Oxfam, because every year uh, when they have this uh, meeting at Davos, you know, with all the richest people of the world come over and then, uh, you know, and speak about their wealth and the Google people and the Microsoft people and all the other gazillionaires are there. Uh, they deter- somehow they did a study, and they said that the... Maybe some of you have read it. It was within the last couple of weeks that the richest eight men in the world um, control more wealth than the poorest 3.6 billion people in the world. That's almost half the Earth's population. Uh, So eight men, uh, uh, six of them Americans, um, I think one Mexican American and uh, another, I forget who, uh, not George Soros actually, but there were still eight, one of them being um, the head of uh, Facebook. And these guys. They're, they're worth so much money. And it's very interesting. So they, they control more than a quarter of the world's, eight people control more than a quarter of the world's entire wealth, you know. And you think, you ask that question, its a, I think it's a fair question to ask people. Uh, there, was a, uh, there is some show, and I actually haven't seen it, but I heard about it. And I want to check it out. It's, uh, it's on a PBS thing called Freakonomics if anybody's ever heard that, heard of Freakonomics. I've heard of it, but I've never actually seen it. But there's a guy on there who um, who offers people money for their souls. Have you heard of that? So, and he bought one soul. I think the cheapest one he bought was 20 bucks, you know, <laughs> 20 bucks, you know, and what what is your soul actually worth? And so people don't really have an idea of what their soul is. 20 bucks, 50 bucks, you know, what would you give? And then other people that would never sell their soul for anything and it's very interesting, I was um, looking on the internet just for the heck of it, just to see, uh, I just wanted to see, when I think of selling your soul to the devil, right? You you look and you think of those old movies and you know, they're written in blood, you know? Sell your soul to the devil. And uh, there's plenty of them out there actually, but one of the interesting things that popped up was Katy Perry uh, who had... um, made some statements when people were interviewing her. I don't know how young or old she was or how recent it was, but there were two um, interviews where she was definitely, um, how would you say, she was, you know, speaking with her mind. It wasn't, she wasn't, I don't know if she drinks or anything. She was in her right mind. And they were asking her, you know, about her journey and what had happened. And she had mentioned the fact that her parents were both, uh, ministers, traveling ministers, and that she uh, grew up listening to Christian gospel music in her home, and that at the age of 15 she actually released a Christian album and had gotten around that whole group of kind of entertainers and agents and different people like that, and uh, thought she would be the next Amy Grant, but uh, then it didn't, that part didn't work out. But she then things changed and then she said twice in two separate interviews I sold my soul to the devil and then she had all this success and and of course I don't think that she physically you know signed her name in blood or maybe she did I don't know but I mean I'm not thinking that they made a deal in the corner you know and that the devil showed up to her and and that he said I'll give you um, all of these this riches and all this kind of stuff but uh she said twice, uh, very matter-of-factly, "I sold my soul to the devil." And I think that people have this idea of selling the soul to the to the devil, you know. And Jesus, I think, rightly notes that humans tend to, you know, lust after things. We know the Bible speaks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And after he goes after Peter. And says that you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. I think what he's pointing out is what we as humans and what all the humans around us tend to do is that we seek after things, things like comfort, things like wealth, things like uh, bigger houses, things that can get us what we want. And then one of the things also, of course, like that young lady, is fame, um, which also gets us very much what we want. Because we tend as Christians to think and to act in the here and now just like the world thinks and acts in the here and now. We want um, what we want. Uh, And I think, too, that can translate into our church planting and our our team building. And, uh, you know, I want to be successful as a pastor. You know, I want to have that. uh, uh, I want to have Sam. I want half of, what's it called, Champion Forest Baptist Church's property. That thing is huge. Uh, it's amazing, you know. They've got five or six services going on at once. I mean, who can juggle all those balls at once? It's incredible how God has worked over there. And it's a beautiful thing. Is that what I'm, Am I lusting, though, as a pastor after something beyond what God has given to me, or am I thinking about the things of God rather than the things of men? Uh, Jesus obviously cared about the world. We see when Jesus is speaking in John chapter 3 and verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only begotten Son. So when you break it down, you know, you see what he loves. He loves the world. And the world includes everybody. Uh, and the world also includes the individual. So he says he loves the world, which is everybody. But then it says that he gave. And so. The operative um, term there is giving, that God gives. God gave us his son. Jesus gave his life. Jesus shed his blood. Jesus took up his cross. And so he's always giving. Uh, Paul would say in the book of Acts that Jesus said it is better to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so this is the mindset of God, or this, I would say, is Uh, Being mindful of the things of God is that we would not be gathering to ourselves rather we would be giving and finally um, he says that whosoever will so God so loved the world but then it is up to the individual that whosoever will come to him or whosoever will believe the only work that God requires by the way is to believe Um, so that's why Jesus rebukes Peter he rebukes Peter because Peter has a different motivation or doesn't quite understand what is going on in terms of how to think with God and how to um, um, not be motivated by the things of the world, by you know Jesus finally taking over, by Donald Trump taking over the world, or by Barack Obama taking over the world, whatever the case may be, whichever side of the aisle that someone is on. Uh, what is our motivation? Is it self or is it others? And so he's making a profound statement, uh, but an obvious statement nonetheless. And that is that we are oftentimes, that the world is building its fortune. And that as Christians, our goal is not to just build our natural fortune in this world. Not that God is against us having wealth or against us being blessed in the physical sense. Um, That sometimes in what he's saying to Peter is you're seeking happiness or fulfillment outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, um, and that we forget God's values. God's values are this, that there is nothing more valuable than the soul of an individual on earth, which is pretty amazing, being how God created the whole world, and he is the crafter and the creator of our souls. And so this is why Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 that that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost seek and to save that which is lost so when god lost one soul he lost a value that was more than the entire world that he had created so the physical world means nothing but there is a value to the to the spiritual part of man there's a value to the soul of the soul that is worth more than the physical world so god can create anything anytime that he wants to Uh, by the mere power of his word. But somehow with a soul, there is a greater value. Uh, It is worth more than all power. It is worth more than all riches. It is worth more than all fame. Um, And that is because God gives life to that soul. In John chapter 5 and verse 21, um, it's very interesting that God gives life to the soul. It's cool, right? Whenever you see Jesus... And he's looking at some of what society would consider the most worthless people, of the most corrupt people. Uh, So there's both ends, right? I I I think the worthless people are the ones that are, you know, I I tend to like look at those crazy uh, manipulators of society and think they are worthless people. You know, they deserve hell and more. You know, but whatever. And then there are the people that are really poor. There are the the great sinners of of history, like the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, they would um, those that accused her would consider to be of little value as a person because of the great burden of sin that she carried and because perhaps she caused other people to sin. But Jesus, on the other hand, saw her as someone who had great value. Great value. He saw Zacchaeus in um, Luke 19 as someone who had... Great value. That was the thing that happened just before he said that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So it didn't matter that he was hated by everybody, including the disciples, Zacchaeus. What mattered was the value that God placed on the individual. And that is the beauty of Christianity, isn't it? Is that God places value on the individual. He places value on your sacrifice, He places value on what you've, not just what you've done, but definitely what you've done. You know, that God cares, that God does look at what you've done also, and he places value on that. But ultimately, the value is on the soul of the individual. You know, and you you have to ask yourself, well, how do I view the world around me? How do I view the people out on the streets how do I view our potential church members just as, as people that are letting me attain my goal? You know, people that are letting me get to that place like Pastor Chris was talking about in the vision. You know, or, or are they people uh, that have value? You know, the grocery store clerk that gets abused all day long, you know? Um, the Uber drivers that get abused, you know? The drivers, how about the drivers? Isn't it so funny how angry people get in parking lots, you know like uh, at Costco at the place where we had lunch today where there was very little parking and very you know not so big parking spaces but very big vehicles you know, and how people will fight and even kill each other over a little you know uh, ten by fifteen piece of uh, of ground that they 're going to temporarily use to park their car you know it's funny, isn't it 's funny isn 't it just park far, get your Fitbit going and count some steps, you know what I mean? Or your your iWatch or whatever the case may be, you know? But I find it to be a fun thing for me to give honor to people that serve me in the least ways, you know? People that give you your coffee, to smile at someone, to make somebody happy. I remember I was coming back, I I had this crazy job sometimes where... I design these waterproofing systems, and then I have to sell them. And my my, um, compensation is based solely upon uh, whether the person likes that design that i made and that is willing to pay for it. So I'm working down in D.C., and it's late. I'm on my way home. It's after 8 o'clock at night, and I get a phone call from a high school principal who lives up... um, uh, North of Wilmington, Delaware, but not quite to Philadelphia, but in, in Delaware County, um, Pennsylvania. It's a couple hour drive, you know, and in between that place, D.C., and the guy's house is my house. And I have, I, I, but I want, you know, I want the deal, you know. I mean, I worked hard with this guy. Um, I drove all the way up there late at night. I said, well, if I get there after 10, is that okay? He said, I would like to get this job done as soon as possible, I'm thinking this is great. So I said, "Honey, I'm not going to be home until after midnight," and so I drive up there. I'm an hour at their house, you know, and I've been going all day. I think I left the house probably at six in the morning. It's about you know 11:30 at night. I get in my car. I'm like, wait, I'm out. I gotta get coffee. I gotta get something. I'm driving another hour and a half back to my house, and I stop at a I stop at a McDonald's. I go through the drive up, you know, and I and I lady, ah, you know, really, like, nasty, like, I don't know what she was saying on the thing, I'm like, I, I just want, like, a double cheeseburger, and uh, do you have a cup of coffee, you know, and, like, it was shocking how, how, and I, but I, on purpose, I, like, said, I spoke to her, you know, through the thing, and I thanked her, and, and I got up there, and I thanked her so much, and I talked to her for a while, and um, she wasn't having a good day, and um, I gave her a track, I told her who I was, I told her what I was doing, and uh, that I was a pastor and stuff. And uh, she looked at me and she said, you know what? She said, you're the only person that was nice to me all day. <laughs> Probably because she wasn't nice to anybody else either. But I felt like, you know, God brought me up there more for her than anything. And I, I told her about Jesus and salvation. And I, I actually, um, I enjoy that. You know, I enjoy being nice to people when other people aren't being nice to them. Um, it's, it's not always easy to do, but there are ways that we can make a difference too, and especially when we understand. I think part of that, though, is understanding that everyone has incredible value to God. It's not always easy, because we don't appreciate the people banging on our windows for money, because half the time I'm thinking they're faking anyway, and they don't really need the money. But Jesus says this, and this is not a metaphor. This is not um, him speaking... Uh, in 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 a in in a, in a parable, this is not anything but what Jesus is saying when he says that um, for what profit is a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul, or what will a man give in exchange for the soul? So Jesus says that if we gain the whole world and lose our soul, there's no profit in it. There's no profit in it. Does that mean that the world is worth less than an individual soul? I would say yes. I would say that's exactly what it means. It's exactly what it means. And then the question, what would you give in exchange for your soul? Is there a price? Is there a price for which you could be bought? Is there a price? And, you know, that has been going on forever, right? Think about the, uh, the persecution of the Christians under Nero and under many other emperors, you know? And they were offered, many of them were offered their physical life, you know, and maybe even position. Uh, maybe some of them were Roman soldiers. Some of them were uh, Roman um, officials. And they were offered for their life. Basically, they were saying, give me your soul, and I'll give you your life, your physical life. And they're like, well, it's not worth it. Not worth it. Bad deal, you know? Bad deal. But some did. Some said yes. Some families pleaded with Christians. I remember the account of a woman in Alexandria who had a, young, who had a daughter, and the parents pleaded with her to renounce Christ. And she she would not renounce Christ, and she was fed to the lions. You know, she was put in the put in the arena, and torn to pieces by beasts. You know, and uh, Hebrews chapter four speaks about these heroes of faith, many of them. And the beauty of it is that when we understand that there is nothing that we could give that could possibly be worth more than a human soul, it makes us see people differently. I went out soul winning um you know doing our weekly trying to get back after the holidays into our you know weekly evangelism and i went back to an old an old haunt you know which is the wheaton bus station which is a part of silver springs metro there too and it's a very active area it's right next to a mall um and so uh, i you know i put in the bulletin for everybody but it was kind of like a little bit misty and i knew a lot of people weren't going to be there but i was determined to go So I went and I had my Spanish tracks, my English tracks, and nobody was there. And uh, I waited for a few minutes, and I crossed the street from the Wendy's where we were going to meet next to the mall, and I went to the big terminal, and I prayed, and I just said, well, here I am, and here are people. And I stopped the first person that I I just was led to talk to and had a conversation, and that happened eight or ten times. One of my church members stopped by. I thought they were coming to... uh, coming to help me, and they're like, oh, no, I'm on my way to D.C., I'm getting to the metro, you know? Actually, <laughs> no, like, so it was one of my preachers, and I'm like, no, no, no. What are you hey, Carlos, are you? Are you uh, oh, yeah, got to go. So I <laughs> just wanted to say hi, and uh, but it didn't matter, you know? But you know what it did? It reminded me of a young lady in our church, Isioma Morty, who we were out there one day in 2008, and we were doing exactly what I was doing. And she doesn't know who gave her the track Uh, I don't know who gave her the track she said whoever it was had a big smile and she felt guilty uh, not to take it because the person was so nice and she was gonna throw the track in the trash but she didn't want the guy to see her throw it in the trash she was on her way to do yoga she was uh, she was gonna start a yoga class Um, but she said she was a procrastinator And uh, anyway, so she once went to a gym to do yoga and passed by us at that same metro stop. And um, so Isioma's testimony is that when she got home, she's like, oh. She found it in her pocket, you know, after her yoga class, and she's like, then she realized it was a church. And she thought, I should go to church. And so um, she procrastinated, but she kept the number. The number is my number, actually. And so she was very impressed that when she finally did call before Easter, that she got to speak with the pastor. And um, she said that she didn't have a good life with, in church growing up, really. Like she maybe believed when she was a little kid, but then it wasn't never really happened. It never really never really saw the value of it and everything. And so when she came to church, uh, she met all of us, and it was you know we you know we did what we do. We preached, we loved her, and she said there was this enormous burden lifted from her and that she felt, she felt like worthless before God, mm-hmm. and that day she felt like she had value. Mm-hmm. And she never stopped coming. And she ended up marrying David Wright, Pastor Bruce Wright's son. That's his wife, Isioma wow. Wright. And uh, yeah, David was, uh, David was in high school. And he came down to be our bass player, and he would jump in the car with me every Sunday morning, and, you know, he was my son's friend, and they all jumped. We, we did, the, that was our music practice, you know, on the way to church. Okay, guys, let's do some. We pro- probably sang He is Exalted for 10 weeks in a row, you know, as one of our closing songs, you know. Uh, but it was such a blessing to hear that um, retelling of her testimony, and to this day has no idea who gave her the track, but the fact that God was faithful and that she was valued by our church and that she was valued by God, it changed her life. And how often can that happen? Nobody talked to her. We say, oh, you know, what is the use of giving out papers, you know? Pretty useful, actually, in some cases, because if you did it your whole life, and only one person ever responded, that is worth more than all the world. And so I would say as we, you know, get ready to close and get ready to head on out to do the things that we do, that this is uh there are uh gazillion churches, right? Me and Sam drove by a few, we looked at some websites and oh my gosh, I mean they're exactly what Pastor Chris said. They say church but they're not really churches. You know, they're not really churches. They're led by um You know, transgender individuals, different people that really don't know the Lord. They're more interested in um, stopping pipelines uh, in North Dakota. Uh, They're more interested in social justice and things like that uh, than they are in the soul of an individual. So in other words, they are more concerned with the things of men, just as Jesus said to Peter. Peter... You're concerned with the things of men and not with the things of God. We've got to make sure that we are more concerned with the things of God. That is an indictment on the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not that we don't. The very fact that I might get that building on Monday is because we were helping a food ministry. And I met a woman who is not a believer, by the way. She goes to a Unitarian (laughs) church. But we were walking together with her uh, in a march for hunger and we were helping them with their annual fundraiser because we care about people. We don't not care about people. We don't not care about people's physical needs. I hate when we get accused of that. You know, it's stupid. Of course we do. But it's still not as important as the soul of man. And so Jesus would have us Certainly be concerned about people's physical needs. He indeed was concerned about people's physical needs, but first and foremost, he was concerned about their souls because that was the thing that is each. Remember, the soul is eternal. Mm -hmm. The soul is eternal. We are here in preparation for a much, and obviously much longer eternity. Uh, Time is just a capsule in eternity. You know, time has a beginning and time has an end. Our lives have a beginning and our lives have an end. That's a capsule. But eternity is eternity. It's not linear. Like, we think of linear. Everything is linear. I am a very linear person because I live in time. But God doesn't think that way. Eternity isn't... This is why I don't agree with the... um, Although it's a useful metaphor, eternity, future, and eternity, past... All you can say is the, the uh, before time and after time. You know? It's really not eternity, future, and eternity. We're in eternity, but we're in a capsule within eternity. How eternity, which way it goes, I think it goes every which way because eternity is as big as God is big. And so the value of a soul. Are we thinking with God or are we thinking like men? Let's think like God. Let's be concerned with the things of God and not with the things of men. Let's use the things of men to help people be concerned with the things of God. Certainly, let's use the, the video, let's use the cool stuff and all the things that we learned about um, you know, church planning and um, strategy and all that is great stuff. But why is it great stuff? Because it gets us to what really matters, mm-hmm. which is the soul of the individual. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever. So there's a lot of whosoever's out there that need their souls to be saved. And then there's a lot of whosoever Christians that are wandering in the wilderness that need a direction and a vision, and we'll find them too. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to have this sweet fellowship with my brothers and sisters here in Houston, Lord. We pray for the planning here uh, over the next few months that... You would bring those physical needs and those spiritual you would answer the physical needs and the spiritual needs for this up-and-coming congregation. There's already a church here, Lord. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're really planting a church, but it's more uh, strategizing how that we can get together, find places, and then have the use our limited time and resources to have the greatest impact um, so that we can, in fact, touch as many souls as possible. Um, for the kingdom of God. And so we pray for that. We pray also uh, for Troy's church uh, up in Austin, Lord, that you continue to bless them. Pray for Heidi. Thank you for bringing her. For all those that were able to come and that I was able to meet for the very first time today and and over this weekend. And we pray for protection as, uh, as we all go home to our houses. Bless the service here tomorrow morning.